under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Here's, here's something that I really would like to impress upon you tonight. Let's see if we can catch the significance of it. The most significant decision you could ever make after coming to faith in Christ is to submit yourself every day to the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's that simple and yet that profound. One of the questions people ask these days, what does it mean, truly mean, to be filled with the Spirit? Well, of course, it's about surrendering to his influence. And if you think for a moment, the Holy Spirit simply has to be the greatest person of influence in the entire world. For not only in the world, but from outside the world, before the world existed, the, the Spirit was involved in the creation of the world. So the big question tonight is, how can we truly learn to be more influenced by the Spirit of God, and beyond that, in turn, to become influencers of others in the world? Well, the first thing that I want to stress is that you and I were made to be people under the influence of the Spirit. If you go back to the very beginning when God created all things, the very last of this, his special creation, was the creation of humanity. We read about it, how God formed Adam out of the dust of the earth. And uh, the kind of way this is described suggests to me a picture of not somebody just picking up dirt, but molding out of clay. You can imagine it as God very personally, intimately and particularly, carefully, creatively, molds an amazing sculpture, just like a sculptor would do that. And there Adam lay, fully formed physically, God's masterpiece on earth, but he lay inert, just a clay model. And then God did something utterly amazing, so tender, and the way it's described in Genesis shows that God was doing something very special, creating humanity in his image, and using highly poetic language, but describing something extremely real, God stooped down and breathed into the nostrils of Adam his breath, his spirit. And the Bible says Adam became a living being, nefesh haya, a living soul, a living breathing human being. Not just living, breathing, human being, but living, breathing, spirit-filled human being. And that is the great prototype. That is the, the beginning of everything. And as so often in Genesis, we see God's heart exposed and all the fundamental principles and basic revelations that govern the scriptures 
by way of explanation and expansion from Genesis through Revelation, builds on that. This tells us that you and I are created for the presence of God. We are created for such an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. And we fast forward into the New Testament. We find another Adam, the perfect Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. And yet, despite the fact that he, being God himself, entered into this relationship with God the Father through the Holy Spirit, this intimate relationship, this divine inbreathing and empowering that he should not just be the model and example for us all, but we should see the intimacy of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Bible says he received the Spirit without measure. I want you to understand that Jesus did not become the Christ because he was anointed, but he was anointed because he was the Christ. And here we have a reference to the divinity of Jesus. For who else but the Son of God, the eternal Son of God incarnate, who else could receive the Spirit without measure? A lot of people teach that that's possible. I I think that we're talking about something a little bit less than that when we talk about your experience and my experience. Dr. R.T. Kendall joined us this weekend, will be with us for the next five and a half months, began a series today on Elisha, and he spoke on the double portion, the double portion. Jesus did not receive a double portion. He received an infinite portion. The Holy Spirit constantly poured into his life, which shows that while Jesus is a model of the anointed man, he also remains fully God manifested in the flesh. Also shows that the spirit-filled life is intended for every single one of us, that we like Adam and more so like the second Adam, we should live under the influence of the spirit in every dimension of our personality, mind, emotions, our will totally surrendered to him. I want to share briefly with you three aspects of being filled with the spirit and let's take us through that and all the while be absolutely open to what God might do. We don't predict anything necessarily, but as we're open to the Spirit and give him freedom in our hearts, we'll have time to minister as he leads in a little while. Now, first of all, there are those Spirit-filled moments. It's almost as if we're going about our business, minding our own business, and something happens. It's almost as if the atmosphere changes. Our awareness is taken out of the norm and we we just are aware that God is up to something. It can happen in church services and it can happen outside of church services. My scripture for this is 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7, it's coming up on the screen right now. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Do you see that word manifestation? It means showing, showing. It's as if the God who's always there shows up in a special way. When that happens, extraordinary things, extraordinary things happen. I remember one of my first experiences of this. I was a very new believer. And, uh, you know, I had a a lot of, uh, I don't know, enthusiasm, not a great deal of knowledge at the time, but my heart was turned towards the Lord and I was visiting somebody uh, around the corner from where I lived at that time in West Kensington, 
and the person was out, so I stood outside waiting. Not the era of mobile phones and other means of communication, so I was just waiting. And I was waiting, I looked out the street and I saw a tiny little old lady step up from her basement flat, put something in the rubbish bin, and as she turned round, I felt deeply impressed that the Lord wanted me to go and speak to her. And so I spoke to her about Jesus. What else would you talk about? Holy Spirit's all about Jesus. And I said, you know, I just felt it important to share with you that God loves you. And I tried to present the gospel as best as I could, and I, I said, are, are you really ready to accept Christ right now? And she turned around and gave me a very peculiar look, peculiar smile. And she must have known what was about to happen to her because I later heard a few weeks after that she died of a terminal illness that she knew she had at that time. She said something like, well, you know, you know it's about time or yeah, I need this right now or something like I can't remember her words. I just remember the, the look. And uh, I don't know what took place between this lady and God. I don't know. I'd like to believe that that was the Holy Spirit knocking on the door of her life, giving her maybe, maybe one of her last opportunities to respond to the gospel. I later found out a little bit more about the lady. She had been pretty much a God-hater all her life. But I saw no sign of a reaction of hatred. I saw somebody on the brink of eternity taking seriously the things that were said. Now, I don't want to make too much of this because I really don't know. I really don't know. And that's the way with the Holy Spirit. Often you don't know the whole picture. But you can trust him because he knows the whole picture. But imagine if my experience is exactly the truth, that God led me to speak something to a lady who had an opportunity which I kind of in my heart, feel that she took to receive Christ. If that was the case, simply because a young, empty-headed ballet dancer was crazy enough to listen to what he believed at the time was the Holy Spirit. Now, in many, many ways, these manifestations of the Spirit take you by su surprise. One of the key words of the Spirit in this, in this instance, in this fashion, the way he works, is suddenness unexpectedness. It's not as if you can always predict or you can be sure about this every single time, but you are open to the Holy Spirit at any moment to drop a thought into your spirit, to give you some kind of indication. And it doesn't have to be writing in the sky. If you get a sensitivity to the sound of the voice of the Holy Spirit, how to recognize that voice, it can become a lifestyle of openness, like having a mobile phone, waiting for that text, waiting for that call, and the Holy Spirit can call upon you. And this is this sudden showing of himself. It is unpredictable, available to everybody who walks in the Spirit. And when this happens, it's always an expression of God's heart. So many books have been written about the gifts of the Spirit. And Professor Carson called this the showings of the Spirit. 
He manifests himself. He shows himself. And it can happen. And it's not not predictable. We can sense something's going on. And we don't quite know what God is going to do next. But the key thing is we are open to his influence. And the purpose of this is made very clear here is for the common good. In other words, the purposes of this is to be a blessing to others. Now, the way that happens mainly is through two main ways, edification, building one another up, and evangelism. I don't know which is more exciting, edification or, exa- or, 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 or evangelism. Probably we shouldn't play one off against the other. And certainly in our cell groups, in our cell meetings, we like to place equal emphasis. The cell meetings exist that we can build one another up and the gifts of the Spirit, as these are called in 1 Corinthians 12, is a great way of doing that, particularly if you do it under direction and submission so that it's not people being wild and crazy all over the place because, you know, crazy is as crazy does. But should never quench the spirit in these directions. But for me, for me, sometimes the most exciting thing is when God gives you a surprising word for a stranger. And you don't have to go in there and say, Oh, I am in touch with the world of the spirit. I shall speak with my tongue in a moment. Do not be alarmed. And you've got no audience. But as you flow with the Holy Spirit, it can be I describe it as naturally supernatural because the Holy Spirit never bypasses our will but our will surrendered and we're available, open to the Spirit for these Spirit-filled moments, they come. We can call them charismatic moments after the description here in 1 Corinthians 12 in which the Holy Spirit gifts us with a manifestation of an aspect of his heart, his mind, his will, his power, his wisdom, his authority to speak or to act in a way that directs people's attention towards Jesus Christ. I want to say the other key word here about spontaneity, the other key word here is always according to the will of the Spirit. It cannot be manufactured. It can only happen when God, as it were, decides. I don't mean to say that we have to sit around just saying, well, you know, as we say in Swahili, Shari Mungu. In other words, if God does it, he does it. If he doesn't, he doesn't. There is an attitude that attracts the Spirit of God. That's an attitude of openness, an openness of spirit. In fact, a love for the Word of God and openness to the Spirit are the two guiding principles for our lives. In an evangelistic context, just to show you that the gifts of the Spirit are not just to build one another up, Hebrews chapter 2 Verses 3 to 4 puts it like this. Now it's in the context of a warning for this community of uh, either Jewish converts or Jewish believers or, or Gentile converts to Judaism who were, who, who were uh, ready to receive Christ and had gone in some measure in that direction. Uh, and the writer is warning them because they were at the point of giving up altogether, but God worked and this, this uh, book of the Hebrews encourages them. So he says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. Did I give you the verse? Chapter Hebrews 2, verse 3. Now verse 4 says, God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. In other words, 
These gifts can be equally used in an evangelistic context as they can be in a church context, but it's always as God directs. So we are the servants and we are available. And we say, yes, Lord, what would you have me do? I heard a remarkable story recently. You know, we're studying at the moment a lot of the uh, apologetics teachings of different ministries around the world. I won't give you this man's name. It's his story, so I'll just share it as it were secondhand. But he's one of the foremost apologists of our time. Hope to get him to Kensington Temple sometime. And you know these people who are very, very clever. You've got clever. You've got very clever. You've got very, very clever. Then you've got R.T. Kendall clever. And, and, and there we are. Um, but what, one of the tremendous things about people who love God, no matter how clever they are, they never depend on their intellect alone. They need the Holy Spirit. Well, this man was about to leave his town to go and preach somewhere, and he was called up by a man who I, by the description, I would say was a highly prophetic person, and uh, called this man for a breakfast just before he took his, 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 his flight, and said, you know, I, I want you to know every morning, every morning, for the first half hour, I lie awake in bed, and I say, Lord, what would you have me do today? Lord, what, what do you want to show me that I might be a blessing? Whatever it is, it might be something small, it might be something, as this story tells, something quite outstanding. And so God gave this man a word for this apologetic preacher. Apologetics is a person who brings arguments to defend the faith. So it's a lot of intellectual reasoning, but also with a great dependence on the power of the Holy Spirit. And the first thing was, your ministry from this moment, I'm not quite sure if it was the word double portion involved, but your, I think it actually was, but that's, that's not the real point of the story, but there was going to be a great increase in this man's ministry. By the time I'm watching this YouTube DVD, I thought, this man's changed. I didn't know the story at that time. This man's changed. There is greater power, authority, and wisdom by the Holy Spirit his brain was like a finely tuned Steinway grand piano, a Stradivarius violin. Finely tuned and prepared, all that is waiting now is for the Spirit of God to take all of that formation and to make something beautiful out of it. But the other part of the story was that nobody knew that this man was suffering from a, a debilitating condition in his life, physical condition, and he was in pain nearly 24 hours a day and the man said, from this day forward, you, God is going to help you with that problem. I, I don't know if he actually declared a healing, but it was in, in that direction. And by the time this man on the DVD, on the YouTube, got to the point of telling the story, and I thought, aha, that's the difference. And he said, you know, from that moment to this, I've had no more pain. Wonderful story. Because a man said, I want to be available. I don't know what you want me to do. It might be something small, it might be something big, but if it's from you, I'm ready. Can we be like that? To be ready for those spirit-filled moments. Now then linked to that, I've almost anticipated, is the second emphasis I want to talk about. Now if I'm not careful, I'll spend the whole rest of the night on this point because I'm preaching my favorite topic right now. So I'll try and control myself a little bit, but not too much. We find... In the scripture, the supreme importance 
of having a spirit-filled mind. That's when the Holy Spirit acts within us. You see, the charismatic manifestations, those moment-by-moment things, when you can sense God's presence and you speak out something and a word of prophecy flows and afterwards it's done, it's dusted, it's over. Those kind of spontaneous charismatic manifestations are often thought to be irrational, often thought to be almost anti-intellectual. It's as if, the, as if God just empties your mind of everything you ever know and slips something there and you, you don't have to think for yourself. The Holy Spirit thinks for you. Now there are moments, and I'm sure many of them, when the Holy Spirit wants to take our understanding and deepen it, take our minds and take us beyond the limitations of our own rational understanding. After all, in Isaiah 55, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. But I don't think we do justice to the Holy Spirit, who is an intelligent fire. He is the, 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 the litmus test, the origin of all forms of thought and rationality. I don't believe we do him any favors by putting all this in some kind of irrational category. No, 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 no. Our human understanding can be heightened and transcended and certainly we can rise above the sinful aspects of our understanding and receive pure thoughts from God. That's what we do every time we open the word of God. But we must be careful about pushing some kind of emotional, anti-intellectual, irrational approach to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit expresses the mind of Christ, and that's far from irrational. God affirms our capacity to think and to understand. But I must be thinking with the mind of Christ, not my own thoughts. God often goes beyond our minds, and I think the best word for this is transrational. It's a slightly technical point. But if there's any one thing, if I could flick a switch in an irrational way, and make something happen, that every charismatic Christian overnight would be transformed, if such a thing were possible, and it's not, I'm speaking like a crazy man, but if it were possible, I'd flick that switch so that charismatic Christians would start using their brains. Amen and amen. And it's vitally important. Uh, anyway, let me just give you an example of this. Um, so here we have Peter sitting in the boat and there's Jesus walking on the water. Now, Peter is no ordinary person, like the rest of those self-respecting disciples sitting in the boat saying, oh, how marvelous, how wonderful for you, Jesus. You must be amazing. Peter said, can I have a go? That's what he said. I want to do that. And that actually, when you read the text, that actually was Jesus' purpose. He was wanting them to understand that we're going to need his miracle-working power the power of the Holy Spirit to be effective in spreading the gospel. We needed supernatural power to do it. And so Jesus calls his bluff and says, yes, come on. So Peter, without thinking, steps out of the boat and starts walking on the water until he realizes what's happening and then panics. And when he starts thinking, 
he starts sinking. So you, you, you think I've, I've preached myself into a trap that I'm actually showing how important it is not to think. Because if you think, you sink. All right. What's going on here? What was happening was that at that moment, Peter, with his eyes fixed on Jesus, was able to think the way Jesus was thinking. So he was now no longer reasoning with the lower portions of his human understanding. His understanding was lifted up to a level in the spirit whereby he was able to reason with the logic of the spirit. That's so important. So important. Many, many times when I've stepped out into the miraculous, in miraculous experiences, it is always because somehow I began to think in an anointed way and begin to reason not just with the ordinary reason of human thinking, but up to the level of something that reflects God's thoughts, which are higher than my thoughts. And what happened as Peter stepped out of the boat, he was beginning to reason with the reasoning of the Spirit. And it went something like this. Something like this. If we could slice open his brain and analyze what he was thinking, it must have been something like this. Wow, Jesus told me to come. And if Jesus told me to do it, then I can do it. And even more than that, the one, although Peter might not have understood it in these terms, we can, the one who created the water has no problem walking on it. And if I am going to obey him and he calls me to come, then I can do it too. So you can see, there is a reasoning that takes us out of normal natural reasoning into some kind of transrational way of looking at things which aligns with God's spirit and his authority for you in that moment. Wow. I think that's absolutely amazing. But coming back to this purpose, of thinking with the mind of Christ, spirit-filled thinking. It's always been necessary, but I want to plead a special case for today. We need it now more than ever because rational thinking and arguments we are talking about which are being broadcast everywhere, are, are, are actually attacking the very basis of rational thought itself. In other words, people out there no longer believe that, believe that truth exists. And so when you share your faith, they say, how wonderful for you. That's your truth, and it's true for you. But here's my truth, and they share their experience. Truth is not rooted in experience. It's rooted in the revelation of God who is ultimate reality. And it could be, friends, it could be, I don't think I'm exaggerating, but it could be that the evangelical church, especially Christian spirit-filled people who won't just learn intellectual arguments, but will learn to reason with the intelligence and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. We could be, just be, in our generation, one of the last bastions of rational thinking. Interesting, isn't it? Interesting, isn't it? 
1 Corinthians 2 verse 12 is where I've based these thoughts on. Let's read it. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Why? Note these next words very carefully. That we might understand. Please repeat after me. Understand. Yes. That we might understand the things freely given to us by God. In other words, Paul is saying here, and he's arguing really against human-based thinking which is closed to the supernatural and the revelation of God. That kind of thinking, those are strongholds we must tear down. But the kind of thinking that says, I believe that God exists, here are the reasons, and because God exists, miracles are possible. And because God exists, justice is possible. And because God exists, love has come into the world. And because God exists, Christ died for our sins. And because God exists, he was raised again. And because God exists, Jesus Christ is coming back to establish his kingdom. That's the kind of reasoning. In other words, taking a look at all the revelation of God, And by the Holy Spirit, seeking to understand with spirit-filled thinking, spirit-filled reflection, everything that God has revealed. So when we grasp hold of the revelation of God, and we are walking with him in the spirit, our minds are being transformed. It's so important. The Bible says that that's how we are transformed by the renewing of the mind. The spirit of wisdom and revelation, the spirit of counsel and might, these are as much our birthright as speaking in tongues. Therefore, we must become bold proclaimers. I nearly said gold proclaimers. Let me stick to that. Gold star proclaimers of our message, which is the only hope for the world. And to be equipped in this way, we need people, to a whole generation of spirit-filled People who are prepared to use their brains and surrender their thoughts to the enlightened thinking of the Holy Spirit. Spirit-filled reflection, spirit-filled engagement, spirit-filled participation in the business of life. I want to ask you, do you think you could commit to become a spirit-filled thinker? To invite the Holy Spirit to help you in the processes of your mind. In fact, we need to be. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Don't ever read the Bible on your own. Never, 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 never read the Bible on your own. Always read the Bible with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we want the spirit of wisdom and revelation, illumination, so that that word penetrates our minds and our understanding. God does not bypass any part of our personality. He certainly does not bypass your will, and he doesn't bypass your mind. There are times when God will transcend our normal thinking, but God wants us to think clearly. Okay, all right. Okay, I'll come back to that point another time, have another crack at it, but that's so much on my heart. So, spirit-filled moments, spirit-filled mind. Finally, spirit-filled motives. Not only does the Holy Spirit act upon us, spirit-filled moments. Not only does he act within us, spirit-filled thinking, but he also acts through us. 
In other words, he works from the inside. Now, you might think I'm ignoring the emotions here. And um, I'm not. If you get your thinking straight, your emotions will follow. Did you know that? Get your thinking straight and your emotions will follow. One of the wonderful things about uh, Pentecostal charismatic Christianity is that we're not scared of emotion. And that's one of the most warmest, richest, most colorful aspect of our lives. And, and the ability to feel emotions is, is God's gift. We shouldn't be controlled by them. But all the beautiful full range of emotions we should surrender to God, whether it's the emotion of sadness and lamentation as we pray and intercede with tears, whether it's the joy of the Lord and we become one of God's holy rockers and rollers, or whether, whether we just have that, enjoy that sense of peace. You know, we've, uh, Fabio has written a song which is a, a kind of rewrite of the old Wesleyan hymn, And Can It Be That I Should Gain an Interest in My Savior's Blood? And uh, one of the aspects of this, one of the lines of this goes, I feel the life his wounds impart. Remember that? I feel the life. I feel the life his wounds impart. This is godly. In fact, Wesley was one of the people that actually helped restore to evangelical Christianity a couple of hundred years ago the important aspect of the, of, the, of the emotions. It was ridiculed in those days as much as it is today. Call us crazy, holy rollers and all the rest of it. But back in the day, they called them enthusiasts. Stay away from the enthusiasts. The word enthusiasm has kind of diluted its meaning in today's world, and it's a kind of a compliment. In those days, it was an insult. Basically, it meant to be possessed by gods. And Wesley was the one who understood that a cold, intellectual, analytical faith was, was missing something important. And he was the one, the great turning point of his life. Some call this his conversion. Others call this his baptism in the spirit when he felt his heart strangely warmed as God's spirit acted through every part of his life and certainly his mind. He was reading Luther's preface. He was listening to Luther's preface being read to his commentary on the book of Romans. My heart was strangely warmed. And we embrace our emotions. But you know, unless your mind is set in the right direction, you can never trust your emotions. But when your mind is set in the right direction, God very often will give you emotions. Not that you might depend on them, but you might enjoy Him. But after all, God goes deeper than mere emotion. So spirit-filled motives is something deeper than mere emotion. God wants you to grip your heart. Sometimes we say, well, this is what I think in my mind, but this is what I feel in my heart. So we say the heart equals emotions and the head equals reason. Actually, that's not a really biblical description. The heart is the motivational center of your life it includes reason, it includes your will, it includes emotions. So when God grips your heart, he takes all of you. The Bible says 
Watch out for the heart. Above all things, guard your heart. It is the wellspring, the driving force, the motivational center of your life. It drives everything that you do. So when we come to God afresh tonight, we need to open our heart to him. Let him come and fill you afresh. Fill and influence the very center of your being. So that when you, listen, when you win somebody's heart, you win the whole person. You notice that? Have you ever seen that? Gain their hearts and you gain the whole person. God knows that. God knows that and the devil knows that as well. If you read through the Old Testament books of Kings and Chronicles, all the rest of it, every so often, well quite repeatedly, you have this phrase, and their hearts were led astray to worship other gods. Their hearts were led astray. Their hearts were led astray. Guard your heart. And the best way of guarding your heart is having your heart so full of the Holy Spirit that there's not enough space for anything else. So the Holy Spirit wants to heavily influence your heart and turn in the direction of Christ. What does this look like? Well, it looks like love. That's what it looks like. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 4. Now, as you turn to that, it'll come up on the screen. Notice that 1 Corinthians 13 is sandwiched between 12 and 14. Now, okay, I know you've come a long way tonight. You want something more than that, that 13 comes between 12 and 14. But chapter 12 is about the gifts of the Spirit. Chapter 14 is also about the Holy Spirit working in these, in these surprising and wonderful ways. But the key point in all of that, what binds us all together, is not just the abilities, the supernatural abilities sometimes that God gives you, which are not in themselves a mark of spirituality. They are charismatic grace endowments. Let me put it to you this way. The gifts of the Spirit that are mentioned, speaking in tongues, prophesying, even working of miracles, they in themselves are not marks of Christian maturity. It's a grace gift. It's a God enabling. And it's wonderful. Because you know under no circumstance at all, do you have any power or authority or any kind of ability to operate supernaturally? No, no, no. That's a God-given thing. And you know that it's, it that does not measure how good you are as a Christian. Now, gifts of the Spirit and maturity should go side by side. But we find in, in Corinth that there, there was a whole lot of immaturity going on. And yet they were speaking in tongues and everything was marvelous as far as they were concerned. So it's, it's about learning how to let God take over the very depth of your being and shape you from there, from the inside out. And this is what he says, and he actually talks about some of these gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 4. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love... I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Not that the spiritual gifts are nothing, but I'm nothing. In other words, it's not even touching my life. If I give away all that I have and deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Then he goes on to this wonderful description, just the first part. Love is patient and kind. 
Love does not envy and boast. It's not arrogant. To put it another way, Paul speaks of the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, and these go side by side. So the Holy Spirit wants to grip your heart and fill it with love for God. Remember I said, having become a Christian, the most significant decision you can make is to submit yourself to the leading of the Holy Spirit. What this means is everything that God means by the word love is taken and placed within your heart. God's love is shed abroad in our hearts. And from there, the true direction, the true directive of life and living in the New Testament flows. In other words, when you are full of love, you, you, don't, you don't have to wonder about what's the right thing to do. You know because love will tell you. Now, I'm not talking about being directed by lower forms of love. I'm talking about the agape love of God, which only the Holy Spirit can inspire. And this is called the, by James the royal law of liberty, the law of love, and shows us that we are not led externally by a whole bunch of commandments, but God has taken these things and all that they stand for, which summarized by the word love and placed it within our hearts. And the moment we say, God, I want to love you more, the Spirit shows up. When the Spirit shows up, you say, God, I want to love you more, and the Spirit shows up even more. That's this wonderful victorious circle. It also tells us that, that if the hallmark of the Spirit of God in your life is this motivation that he inspires within you towards God, it reminds you that it's all about God and not about you. I think that's the great spirit of the age. You remember Paul said, we haven't received the spirit of this world, the spirit of this age. It's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. Whereas before, people accepted that there was a God and they were accountable to him. There was an authority external to their lives. Now they've taken that away and taken the whole center of the universe and placed it within their own hearts and now say, whatever I say is right. Whatever I want to do is right. We have not received that spirit. We've received the spirit from God who, yes, comes with inside us and dwells with inside us, but there he beats with the sound that says, it's not about you, it's all about him. This kind of love puts God where he belongs in the center of everything. It's all about his glory. It's all about his Christ. It's all about his will. So influence, the influence that comes from the Holy Spirit is in direct proportion to our Surrender to him. It's a relational surrender. It's not a forced thing. It's a love thing. Surrender to the Spirit. And in doing that, you embrace God's will rather than your own. Allow him to fill you and carry you, move you into his purposes. And it's a choice. It's a choice. That's why I said the most significant decision you can make after coming to Christ is to submit yourself to the Holy Spirit's leading, his initiatives, his direction, 
his workings in you and through you. Allow him to take you up, form you into an instrument that he can use. Whatever you like, you, you may be more mechanical than musical. So we could talk about power drill. Or we could talk about anything you use if you're an architect. You can talk about chalk on the chalkboard. I, I don't think we do that anymore, do we? We have all kinds of other methods. Whatever you connect with, become like that the Holy Spirit can begin to use you. That way, not only will you be under the influence of the Spirit, but you yourself become an instrument of influence in the hands of the Master.